Anytime you see someone this week, don't, don't even just accept offers to be prayed for. Start looking for chances to pray for someone. Amen. Okay, take that. Let's go ahead and dismiss our kids. Um, whew. We're going to, if you've got your Bible, go to Mark chapter 16. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're in our uh, series on spread the fire, talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, um, the baptism that Jesus, that John referred to as a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And so someone moved my Bible, and so I got to turn to Mark chapter 16, so give me just a second. Uh, Last week, we covered um, in the book that we're reading, the first two chapters, and there are more books available on the Welcome Center. Uh, They finally did arrive this week, and so if you still need a copy of those, you can pick it up. The first two chapters talked about the history of the modern Pentecostal movement. And beginning around 1900 and how that has taken place and maybe some of the dangers that have come with that, some of the pitfalls that come with that. It gave you a biblical overview of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We covered that last week and uh, we're going to start looking a little bit more in depth in it uh, in the weeks ahead. And as you meet in your huddles, I just encourage you to continue to interact with these truths and ask questions and challenge one another along these lines. Because here's what I want you to understand. There was a time in church history Okay, I want you to hear, hear this. If you do not know church history, there was a time when you were not saved by grace. You were saved by your effort, your work. In fact, there was a time in church history where you actually had to pay the church money to be absolved of your sins, indulgences. Yeah, there, this was the norm, the accepted thing. And finally, a man named Martin Luther began to see in the word of God, hey, we're saved by grace, not by works. And so he went to the church and he nailed 95 statements to the door of the church where the norm became un- was unbiblical. I mean, the norm of the church. And so when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, don't let what your norm is be your guide. Get in this book. I don't care if your norm is assemblies of God, don't let the norm be your guide. Get in this book. The norm of church can be wrong, it can be not biblical. And we got to get in this book to understand what this baptism is all about. And so today we're we're talking about examining the fire. Sorry, I got to turn the TV back on. Stupid power failure. Thank you, Jesus. There's no power failure in you. Okay, because otherwise I won't see where I am, and so I'll be confused. More so than normal. In Mark chapter 16, we started reading this last week, and we're actually going to pick up in verse 15. This is what we covered last week, but just to see it in context and maybe as a review for our brains, it says, Jesus, right before he goes into heaven, says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Some believers like to stop there, but we're not going to stop there. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Some people like to stop there, but we're not going to stop there. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. There's that powerful name. They will speak in new languages or what we refer to as speaking in tongues. 
They will be able to handle snakes with safety. We talked about that last week. That's not for a worship service. That means if you're doing the will of the Lord and there's danger, he'll protect you. They'll be able to drink anything poisonous and it won't hurt them. You know, I joked with our leaders this week as we had a meeting and I said, I'm gonna pray over your donuts that the Lord will bless them and make them nourishing to your body. Okay, you know, that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, you know, you can pray and magically for that donut and as you eat it, it's actually gonna be like green beans for you. That's not it at all. What he's saying is that if you're in the work of the Lord and you're in danger, God can protect you and he will protect you and you can use the name of Jesus. How many of you have ever been in a car accident and cried out the name of Jesus, not as a curse word, but as for help? I mean, that's the name of Jesus. Learn to do that. Learn to cry out Jesus because he's the only one that can help us sometimes. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Verse 19, when the Lord had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven. He sat down in the place of authority or honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached and the Lord worked with them or through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. And so last week we talked about those first few verses and we dissected what they mean. But today we're going to talk about four things from these last couple of verses here in Mark chapter 16. We're going to talk about the authority. We're going to talk about the partnership, the confirmation, and the pattern. Okay, the authority, the, the partnership, the confirmation, and the pattern. The first thing we're going to talk about is the authority. Jesus sat down in the place of honor. He sat down in the place of authority at the right hand of God in heaven. That signifies a place of authority. When the king is on his throne, if you're on his right hand, that's a place of authority. You can now speak or act on behalf of the one sitting on the throne. That's a place of authority. They understood that. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says, all authority, all in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So you got to understand in Genesis, when God created Adam, he gave him dominion or authority on earth, Adam, to represent God. Adam lost it when he chose to disobey God and he sinned. And it took a man, Jesus, coming to this earth, the second Adam, to get back the authority that Adam lost. In fact, Satan, in the temptations in Matthew chapter 4, tries to tempt Jesus. All the kingdoms of the world, all their authority, I will give you if you bow down and worship me. But Jesus knew that would short circuit the way God had in mind because the justice of God had to be satisfied with a sacrificial, spotless death. And that's what he became for you and I. So when he raised to life again, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Not just preach the good news. Make disciples. Get involved in people's lives. Help them. Grow with them. Encourage them. Bless them. Make disciples of all people, all nations, baptizing them, water, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everything I've commanded you. And so if Jesus gave them a command to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, that's something we should teach them. Surely I'm with you always, even until the end of the earth. The Apostle Paul says it 
confirms it in Ephesians chapter one. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This, that's my prayer for us. We need to understand the incredible power of God that is in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. And he is now far above, far above, not just minusculely above, far above every ruler, authority, power, leader, or anything else. Meaning if there's something I don't even understand yet, Jesus is above it. <laughs> I love that. Not only in this world, but in the world to come, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. As I said, God gives us authority, the authority he gave Christ, Jesus gives to us to do his work, to finish his work on the earth. Most of us don't have a problem admitting, acknowledging, believing that Jesus has all authority. Where we get into problem is we think, well, I don't want to overstep my bounds. I mean, who am I? I mean, I'm just, you know, a wretch. I'm a worm. You're right. We are. But the power of the Spirit in us is the authority to accomplish His work on the earth. Because of fear of being too presumptuous or because of fear of past disappointment, many of us are afraid to access the authority and power that has been given to us in the Word of God by the Spirit of God. That's right, amen. I was just going to wait all day for that. <laughs> On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples, and look at what he says to them. I tell you the truth. Anyone, 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 anyone who believes in me will do the same works, identical works that I do, that I have done. I mean, let that sink in. If you are here today and you believe in Jesus, you should be doing identical works to what Jesus did. Even greater works. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It's greater in scope. Okay, you can't do greater than raising the dead. I mean, what, you can't do greater than, you know, cursing a fig tree. Well, I mean, what can be greater? He's not talking about greater in action, but greater in scope, meaning every one of us can be literal Jesuses on this earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. And there's in my name. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Ask anything in my name, I'll do it. But remember, he couldn't do it. We couldn't do this, these greater things, until he ascended and sent the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he imparts to us the authority of Jesus to finish his work. Not so we can use the authority of Jesus like a club to beat people up, but as an instrument of justice and an instrument of righteousness, an instrument of kindness and peace. That's the authority that he's given us. And he put it in imperfect vessels. I mean, these apostles were not chosen because of their brains and their wit and their extreme giftings. They were simple people. They were uneducated people. And Jesus purposely chose them so that he could put his power in them so that people would recognize the glory of God and not the glory of man. I'm grateful for all the giftings and abilities God has provided all of us. But it, it's not dependent on that. In fact, sometimes we think it is, and we build a lot of stuff on our own charisma instead of on the power of God. 
Look at the Corinthian church and how imperfect they were. But the apostle Paul speaks to try to correct them and help them so they can walk in the full glory of God that they're supposed to walk in. When we try to accomplish the purposes of God without the power and authority of Christ, it's like trying to drive a car without any gasoline in the tank. Okay, the car is the mission, Jesus said, go and make disciples. The Holy Spirit is the gas. And here's the thing, without gas in that car out there, you and I could push it. And we could make that thing go. Eventually, we're gonna get pretty tired, we're gonna get flat out exhausted. But if you and I will learn to just get gas in the tank and let the power of the Spirit drive the car, we'll be able to accomplish even greater things. This is the partnership that he's calling us into. Mark says in this chapter, Mark says it right here, look at Mark chapter 16. He says, Jesus worked with them. He worked through them. It was a partnership. God could fulfill all of his plans for the earth without us. He does not need us. He is God. But he chooses us. He chooses us. If you don't like the condition of our nation today, start acting on the authority and power that you've been given to do battle against spiritual forces and bring breakthrough to our nation. Stop watching CNN and griping and complaining all over Facebook and actually use weapons that have power. Start overcoming evil with good. Start blessing those that curse you. Start praying for those who persecute you. Start using the weapons of our warfare in prayer and obedience, acting in the full authority of Jesus to bring justice to this land. Man, he did so much for us. Let's not live below what he's made available for us. He worked with them. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this, I no longer call you slaves. That's weird because at one point he must have called them slaves. Servants. <laughs> Isn't it? But that's what they, we were. We were his servants. And that's what we are. We're his servants. I'm not making, we're, we're his slaves. But, a master does not confide in his slaves. Listen to me. The king of the universe wants to confide in you. There are secrets that you can't possibly know by yourself, but he's put the spirit in you to reveal them to you. You're not going to find them out because you're so smart, and if you just study the Bible, your brain is going to help you. You need the spirit. You can't understand the things of God without the Spirit. That's what the Word says. But you're my friends. I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. <laughs> I chose you. You're not here today because you were so smart to put two and two together. He chose you. He called you. And he brought you here. Oh, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I'm gonna send you the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. He's gonna come from the Father. He will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me. You're a partner with the Holy Spirit. He has come to testify about Jesus. This is great. Sometimes people are like, 
You know, you Pentecostal people, you talk too much about the Holy Spirit. You know, read the, the last words of Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16. These are the last words of Jesus to his disciples. And I want you to look at how much Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in those chapters. Okay, we sometimes are, I put a verse in here. I didn't know if I was gonna share it, but I'll put it in here. The Father and I are one. This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 10. And so the people picked up stones to kill him. Okay, religious people, church folk. Okay, this is who Jesus is around. At my Father's direction, I've done many good works. For which of them are you going to stone me? <laughs> I just love this. Because Jesus has ticked these guys off and he knows it. And they pick up stones. He doesn't run. He doesn't pull out his heat. I mean, you know, ever since the shooting in Texas, we got people like, should we have armed guards? Well, I'm not saying we shouldn't. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be smart. But you know what? Jesus stood there with them picking up stones to a crowd of people. And in the full authority that he knew was his. Because here's the thing. You ain't taking me before my time. Because you can't take my life. I'm going to lay it down. He knows this. And so there's such power. What are, you, what are you stoning me for? Look at this. We're not stoning you for any good work, for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. So they had a hard time understanding that Jesus and the Father were one. He was a man. He's not one with the Father. He's like lesser than the Father. No, we're one. Okay? Don't believe me, Jesus says, unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I've done, even if you don't believe me. Then you will know and understand that the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. See, in our day and age, what people are afraid of is that we talk too much about the Holy Spirit or that we put too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And sometimes they want to stone me and you because of the emphasis placed on the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. They're not having an identity crisis in heaven. The problem is with us, and much like the religious leaders of that day, they couldn't swallow the fact that Jesus claimed to be God, and he was. The Holy Spirit is God, and he lives in you. But do not believe us just because we say it. Believe in the evidence of the Spirit in our lives, the works of Jesus. Not just the miraculous works of Jesus, but the compassionate, merciful works of Jesus also. All of the works that he's done. All right, the confirmation. We gotta keep moving or we're not gonna have time to pray. And we gotta have time to pray because that's the most important part. The confirmation. Mark says, the Lord confirmed his word with signs and wonders. I want to free you from the guilt, shame, fear, uh, presumption, whatever it is that's keeping you from understanding this. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord confirmed his word with signs and wonders. Okay, the apostles could not confirm the word. They could preach the word, they could declare the word, they could pray in the name of Jesus, they could, like Peter on the way to the, the temple, could say to the man in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk, he could do that, but the Lord had to confirm it. 
And all through the the book of Acts, in a minute we're going to look at the pattern, but all through it, the confirmation is a pattern. The Lord confirmed for the rest of their ministry, their word with signs and wonders. And not just them, but all who believed in their teaching. And we're going to see that in the pattern too. We're, in Acts chapter 4, these same guys that received the baptism in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost get threatened. Stop preaching in this name of this Jesus guy. Or you're going to get worse than this flogging we're about to give you. And they meet together and they pray. Lord, hear their threats. Give us great boldness in preaching your word. None of us, we don't have a problem with that, that part of the prayer, but here's where we start to have a problem. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, if that's a presumptuous prayer, the next thing isn't gonna happen. If that's a presumptuous prayer, then Jesus is gonna rebuke them and say, don't you ask for that. Focus on my character and not my miraculous powers. Now, can it get out of balance? Absolutely. In Matthew chapter seven, we're warned that there are people who do miraculous things in the name of Jesus, but they don't have a personal connection with Jesus, and he's gonna say, I didn't know you. Yep, there's a warning. But that doesn't mean we fly to the other side of the pendulum and just say, well, you know, in order to have that not happen, let's just not have any of it happen and let's just push the car as far as we can push the thing. I mean, people will get saved if we push the car. Every once in a while, we'll be able to share a powerful truth because the Holy Spirit is present. I mean, there's some, there's some gas fumes there, but I don't want to push the car anymore. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. Now, if it says the meeting place shook, it shook. (laughs) And I don't want the building to shake today because here's the thing. If you're not gonna believe this before the building shakes, you won't believe it after the building shakes. If you don't believe it before you see the sign, the sign won't confirm it for you. Okay, it's a conformation, not a deal maker, if you will. And so when we come to him and say, God, I need a sign if I'm gonna believe. You know, here's the thing. Sometimes in his mercy, he gives us that. But that's not the norm. The norm is believe and you're gonna see. Remember Nathaniel when Jesus came and called him and said, I saw you while you were under the fig tree? And he's like, oh, I believe, this is amazing. And he's like, you believe because I saw you under a fig tree? You're gonna see even greater things than this if you believe the confirmation comes. So the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But they were already filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two. See, if your concern is, you know, well, I feel like it's a a bad thing if, you know, I was saved and I know I have the Holy Spirit and now you say there's a second experience with the Holy Spirit and does that make my first experience lesser? Did that make the day of Pentecost lesser? I mean, there were tongues of fire on them. 3,000 people got saved, but yet they still were filled again. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is in a one-time moment. 
It's a continuous filling and power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so let's look at the pattern. I'm just going to read through the book of Acts, and I want us to see the pattern of how the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of the apostles. How did he confirm his word? How did they act on the authority that God gave them? How did the, the confirmation happen, the partnership that's there? How did Peter know to say, hey, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk? Where does this come from? And I'm not going to cover every passage. We'd be here all afternoon. And I figured you wanted to go home. And so I'm going to pull out some. There's more in the book. And I'd encourage you to interact with those in the book, in your huddles, and read them in the week ahead. But on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem when they heard the loud noise everyone came running they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Now, in the book, he says somehow the apostles got from where they were meeting to where all the people were. Well, here's how, okay? It says that they were in one place. The place where Jews gathered in that day, especially at the Feast of Pentecost, was the temple, Okay, if they're at the temple and they're meeting together and the Holy Spirit comes and fills the house, the house of the Lord, the temple, that's an actual word that Luke who wrote this would have used for the temple in his writings. Okay, that's a word he would have used. Then all of the people would have heard it and come running because they would have all been there. And if 3,000 people are present, it wasn't some back street down there in Jerusalem. Okay, they didn't spill out onto the road. They were right there. In the public place where everyone gathered. And they came together and 3,000 got saved. And there just happened to be all these ritual bathing pools. They could baptize all of them. Hallelujah. You work all this out, Lord. Look at how this happens. And so the, this power fills them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, continuing on. All these people are amazed and perplexed. And they say, what is this? And others in the crowd ridiculed them they're drunk that's all on the day of Pentecost people said that's not God they're just drunk we don't believe that we don't understand it if it happened then why wouldn't it happen now now, the power of the Holy Spirit is not given, so you can laugh, roll around on the floor, make funny noises, have a good time, have a Holy Spirit hop and hoe down, and there's nothing wrong with getting excited about God. There's nothing wrong when the Holy Spirit moves on you to maybe be a little exuberant, but it doesn't stop there. It's power to drive that car down the street. And if all it is, is a good service or a falling down time, and that car is still sitting in the parking lot, that's not the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's hype and that's emotionalism. And I don't want it. I don't mind if people do weird things at these altars as long as the car is going down the street. I love that. We used to say it's not about how high you jump, it's about how far you walk when you hit the ground. And that's the truth. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So Peter steps forward and says, listen, jerks. <laughs> How dare you claim that the Holy Spirit is not real? 
I mean, that's how some Pentecostals act today when people misunderstand or misinterpret or claim that we're crazies or drunks. That's not what Peter does. He says, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. It's nine o'clock in the morning. It's too early for that. I love it. I mean, we could talk all day about that. I mean, if it's okay, like at three o'clock in the afternoon to be drunk. <laughs> but that's his reason. So, it's nine o'clock in the morning, it's too early. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'm gonna pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And he goes on to begin to talk about this what was prophesied, what's happening. And it says that as he's speaking, the men in the crowd, the women in the crowd are cut to the heart. They're like, what do we need to do to be saved? That's confirmation. And then they were baptized in water. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. There were about 3,000 in the crowd. Then in Acts chapter four, we already read part of this. They were in the, the they were arrested and they said, they lifted up their voices, they cried, they prayed. And then I want you to notice the part that I didn't read yet. Down at the bottom, after they prayed, the, the signs and wonders done in the, whole, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with, belief, with boldness, but all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they had owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Listen, Pentecostals. Listen, Assemblies of God people. If the fruit of the Spirit is not evident in our lives, bringing us into unity in heart and mind, it's no wonder people don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Don't make the baptism in the Holy Spirit about a badge of honor or just a, a bunch of goosebumps that we get to have in a worship service. It's also the power to deal with the stuff in our lives. And if we sit in a church pew next to someone that we won't actually talk to because they hurt our feelings years ago, I'm questioning whether or not we've been filled with the Holy Spirit who is a spirit of love, who is a spirit of joy, who is a spirit of peace, who is a spirit of goodness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. And so we need to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that the miraculous power of God and the compassionate power of God flows out of our lives readily. Acts chapter six. They need to find people to wait on some tables because the apostles say, you know, it's not right for us to wait on tables. We need to be about prayer and preaching the word. Now, my guess is if I stood up here as a pastor and said, hey guys, uh, I need some people to do some of the, the ministry here because my job is to just preach and study the word so I can deliver it. Some people would have a problem with that. <laughs> But there were needs that needed to be met. And so the apostles said, no, that's not what God's called us to do. So you pick some men. And they don't say, find some men, you know, that are, are good at serving and find some men that are good at dishes. Find some, find some men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Their qualification is they're known to be filled with the Spirit. That's who you should look for as deacons. Not the guy you like, not the lady you like, but who's filled with the Spirit? Who's operating in the miraculous power of the Spirit? Who's operating in the fruit of the Spirit? Not perfectly, but willingly. Who's stepping out in faith right now? That's who you should elect as a deacon. Well, Pastor Tom, I, don't, I look through the list and I don't see anyone. Then no, let's not vote for anyone. Are you with me? Or let somebody say, hey, I should be doing that. 
All right, Acts chapter 6. So brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Give them this responsibility. So Stephen, one of them, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Whoa, Stephen, slow down, buddy. You're not an apostle. You're not one of the ones that was with us on the day of Pentecost. You're not one of the ones that Jesus met with for 40. I mean, you're just one of the guys that believes in our teaching. What are you doing all these signs for? And look what it says. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. And that power of God on his life actually got him killed. He got stoned. That's so crazy. Because here's Jesus in full authority knowing. And there's a guy named Saul that just happened to be in the crowd that day holding their coats while they stoned Stephen. And God used that as a mark on Paul's life. So Stephen's death actually led to the persecution of the church, which scattered the believers so that they would preach the word everywhere because they weren't preaching it everywhere, like he said. They were limiting it. So the persecution came, and that event, even though he gave his life, propelled the power of God everywhere. And so you may be called on to give your life You may get stoned by the crowd. But here's the thing. Nothing can ever happen to you outside of God's plan, purpose, will, and design if you just walk in obedience to him. And the worst thing people can do is kill you. And that's not so bad, actually. The longer I live, the more I'm like, yeah, it'd be great to go home. Pick up stones, go ahead. Acts chapter eight. No, my family would be upset. I feel like Paul. I'd rather go to heaven, but you know, I I wanna be here for you. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. They accepted God's message. They believed it. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they hear the message. They believe. They're water baptized. But it says they didn't have the Spirit yet. Now, we know that no one believes without the Spirit. So they have the Spirit. But they don't have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So they lay hands on them. Look at the pattern. They lay hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then this guy named Simon, who, by the way, was a sorcerer, introduced earlier in the chapter. He had all kinds of magic arts. And he impressed people with them. Sees this. And he's like, give me that power. So my question is, what in the world is happening that takes a guy who knows magic arts and does all of these miracles, what's he seeing when they receive the Holy Spirit? I mean, are they just quietly standing there receiving? Or is there some evidence of power taking place that causes this guy to say, I want that? We're going to have to wrestle with that one. Acts chapter 10. Jesus... Peter speaking to a bunch of Gentiles because we know God doesn't want to save the Gentiles, just the Jews. (laughs) That's what Peter thought. And so God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Okay, Jesus did that because God was with him and we do that because God is with us. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those who were listening to his message. Huh, that's a head scratcher. I mean, they haven't received yet. They haven't believed yet. They haven't confessed yet. They haven't been baptized yet, but they received the Holy Spirit. And he says they're receiving it just like us. They're speaking in tongues. I mean, can we deny that they should be saved? So how did they know that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, they heard them speaking in other tongues. 
That's the pattern. Acts chapter 19, one last one. Apollos was in Corinth and Paul traveled through the interior regions while he reached Ephesus on the coast. He found several believers and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He said, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. (laughs) What baptism did you experience? The baptism of John. Obviously, the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance was different. And some people like to use this passage and say, well, see, they weren't really saved because they hadn't received the baptism of John. Well, if that's the case, then what about in Acts chapter 8 where they were baptized in the name of Jesus that we just read? Okay, what baptism did you experience? The baptism of John. John's baptism was for repentance. John himself told the people to believe in one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they were heard this, they were baptized In the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Now, how could they have been baptized? How could they have believed if they didn't have the Holy Spirit at that moment? I don't believe they didn't receive the Holy Spirit until that moment. I believe they didn't receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit until that moment. In the book... There are, there's a whole chapter devoted to, it's chapter four, all of the objections that we use sometimes to not receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not gonna take time to discuss those objections with you, but I'd encourage you to read them. I'd encourage you to talk about it in your huddles, to, uh, to make sure you understand it, to study the scriptures. If you wanna come talk to me, let's have coffee, tea, pop, whatever you wanna drink. Let's just sit in a room somewhere and let's talk through that because I promise you, I don't have all the answers, but I will promise you this, I've been on both sides of this aisle. I grew up in an Assemblies of God church, but I didn't want to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit because I didn't want to do weird stuff. I grew up in a church where people fell down, where people laughed in the Spirit, where weird things happened and the church still split. And so I thought, I don't need that stuff because I'm going to live over here because I just need Jesus and I'm going to push that car down the street because I'm stubborn and I'm strong and I'm going to do it. And then all of a sudden, my fifth year in Bible, my fourth year in Bible college, the Holy Spirit moved in my life in a way that I could not deny, and I had to wrestle with the truth of what was real. I didn't want my experience to be right, so I went to the scripture, and as I studied the scripture, I found the scripture actually validated my experience, but I was pushing both of them away because I didn't want it. But I want to challenge you to study the scriptures and don't take what you want or what the church says is norm, but take God's word at its value. Because here's what I believe, the power of the Holy Spirit has been given to you and I to help us drive the mission that Jesus gave us as we drive through our city. And so today, as we end our service, this is what we're going to do again. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a doctrine to be defended. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not an experience to be had. He is a person to be interacted with. I want you to imagine me coming to live at your house. Okay, I'm going to come and live at your house. I'm bringing my bag and I'm moving in and I'm never leaving. Some of you are excited and some of you are like, lock the doors, honey. He's coming over. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit does that at salvation. He comes to live in us. Now, if I came to live with you, you could choose not to talk to me. You could choose to ignore the fact that I'm even there. But here's the thing. I would still be present. 
There would be signs of my presence. There would be messes I leave behind. There would be traces of my smell. There would be essential oils everywhere. And so here's the thing. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit moves in. And there are traces of him everywhere in your life. There are things that happen. There's fruit that's evidenced in your life. I'm not denying that. But here's the thing. If you start conversing with me as we live in that house together, and you start surrendering your will to me, we're going to become better friends. You're going to understand me more. And if I come with power and authority in my life, you're going to be able to have access to that. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. He's in you. If you believe believe in Jesus and you've surrendered your life to Jesus and he, he lives inside of you. He's there. But it's time to communicate with him. It's time to surrender to him. It's time to have access to the authority and the power that he brings to you to live it out. And so that's what we want to do today. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to play some music. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And I want you just right now, close your eyes. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We're gonna invite the Holy Spirit. He's already living in us. But we're gonna invite him to communicate with us. If you're here and you've never experienced what's known as the baptism in the Holy Spirit, in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come because we wanna pray for you. If you wanna be refilled, maybe you're like those in Acts chapter four and you're like, I've experienced it, but man, I'm in a season right now where I just need more power, more boldness, more, I just need more. I know you don't get more of the Holy Spirit. He's already moved in, but you need to learn to access more. And we wanna pray for that to be active in your life. And so the prayer team in a moment is gonna come and we're gonna be here and we're gonna give you a chance to respond to that. But I want you I want you to interact with him. I want you to ask him to fill your life in a fresh way, in a powerful way. I want you to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I've had people all my life tell me, you know, if God wants me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, he'll give it to me. Yep, and he wants all men to be saved, but he doesn't give it until they ask. If you're going to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you're gonna receive it the same way you receive salvation. You're going to ask for it and you're going to receive it by faith. The Holy Spirit is gonna prompt you to speak out in a new language, but you're going to do it by faith. He's not gonna take over your body. He's not gonna control you. Some of you may feel the need to get super exuberant. Some of you may just speak it out, and that's okay. I promise you, I was so amazed when I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I didn't even believe it because it was way too simple. All I did was start speaking. I expected to fall down. I expected to maybe get excited. I expected to have chills and all of this stuff going on because I'd had it before. But the, the moment I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, all I did was speak out what I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to speak. And for a while, I even had to wrestle with whether that, that was God, whether that was true. God confirmed it in so many ways, but I still didn't want to believe it. You have to receive by faith. And I know some of you wrestle with fears and with doubts. But I promise you, Jesus taught us, if you ask your father for something good, he is not going to give you something evil in return. And right after that, he said, how much more will the father give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You understand, the Holy Spirit is what you need. He is the gas that drives your car. 
And that doesn't mean I love him more than I love Jesus. In fact, Jesus is the only reason that I have the Holy Spirit. I love them all, Father, Son, and Spirit. Each one serves such a purpose in my life. It's the love of the Father that keeps me rooted and grounded. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that opens up all of heaven to me. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit and his communion that empowers me to do God's work and to bear fruit that lasts. And so I want you to just take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit. He's already there. In fact, if he's not there and you're in this room today and you say, I've never invited the Holy Spirit into my life. I've never invited Christ to come into my life. When, when we pray, I want you to come to one of the members of our prayer team and you, you need to tell us that. We wanna lead you into a relationship with Jesus Christ today so that the Holy Spirit can take up residence in your temple and you can have that same access to the presence and power of God every day of your life. And so Jesus, I thank you today for the power that you've made available to us by your death and resurrection. Thank you that you sent your spirit to live inside of us. And Father, today I pray for every person in this room God, today to, to walk in fuller communion with your Holy Spirit. Forgive us for letting him move into our temple, but ignoring him. And even when we've ignored you, you you've been there and you've, you've produced fruit in us. How much more if we start paying attention to you, if we start fellowshipping with you, if we start surrendering to you, Father, for those that are here today that wrestle with this baptism in the Holy Spirit, I pray today for just a peace to settle on their heart. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of peace. You're the spirit of truth to answer every objection and every fear and every doubt. And I pray that those today who have never been baptized in you would receive that baptism today. that nothing would hold them back. Father, I pray your blessing over this body today. I pray for your grace to help us receive all that you have for us. I'm gonna ask the prayer team if they would join me here in the front. And if you're here and you have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit or you just want a fresh baptism, I'm gonna ask you to slip out and I want you to come and I want you to stand across the front and we're gonna pray with you. You say, I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit or I want a fresh filling for the season of life that I'm in. I want you to slip out. I want you to come and just stand here across the front. We're gonna pray with you and we're gonna believe that God's gonna fill you today.